Hi guys, welcome back to Champagne. It's now episode three and I've already gone rogue on my third episode. I've always said that these are about the people who are behind the scenes, but I think it's important also to include the athletes. So this time I've roped in a very good friend of mine, Tiffany Cromwell, professional cyclist. Basically she's scraping the bow so she begged me to come on. No, that's not true. No, I think genuinely, I mean, it feels weird paying one of my good friends a load of compliments, but you are a very inspirational person. So I just want to start off with asking you in terms of people behind the scenes, like everyone who supports you, who's your biggest network? Yeah, you know, obviously when you're at the highest point in your sport, you need that people behind you, you need the team behind the team. Um, and having those close people you can rely on in no matter what, in the ups and the downs. Because when you realise when you're on top, everybody wants to be a friend. But when you're in the last parts, it's those people that you surround yourself by are the people that are the most important. And so people, for example, close friends. Um, my coach, you know, he's been there for a long time. Um, he's Who's met, your coach? A guy called Eric Harkinson. Mm-hmm. He's Australian. He works with the national program. But at the same time, you know, he's stuck with me through many sort of up and down periods and we've been working together I think since 2011 or 2012 2011 yeah so you know he's been through me through a number of processes and we're still working together even when the team tried to come on and say no we want you to use a team coach and it didn't really work for me and my and Eric um worked really hard to keep me so yeah things like that is really important knowing that you believe in the people around you as well and you trust them and trust what they have to say and he's the one that helps me put together my programs my training when things aren't going right I can talk to him and we can say hey what do we need to do what do you feel like you're missing where do you feel like you're strong and all those sorts of things and it's probably because he's known you for so long he kind of knows your weaknesses knows your strengths and knows how to really make the best out of you for especially leading up to races because timing is so impeccable in your line of work like if you're not in absolutely fit position for the peak races then you're not you're not going to be anywhere really exactly and you know but the tricky balance we have as well is because he's based in australia we do a lot of it you know he builds on my program online on thing called training peaks and puts all the things there it's up to me to be disciplined do the training here but then it's also balancing with the team commitment we can say hey this is the race program but then suddenly they change and he has to adapt for me and it's also up to me saying maybe one day i wake up and i feel terrible and me making the the call and saying okay no today's not a good day for the training we need to restructure some things like he's not someone I feel like I need to talk to every single day but if we do have issues or if I do feel like I'm in a rut I know like I can just send him a message or whatever and he'll be there and we can like work things out and that's really good yeah Yeah. everyone has different relationships some people need that communication every single day with their coach they need the emotional support and things like that um but yeah the way that Eric and I have developed Dallas and obviously my experience being in sport for so long means you know we work well with that like I know what I have to do but at the same time I like to know I have someone in the background that's keeping things on track and keeping checks on me when maybe I am getting led astray a little bit or not being as focused what I know I need to be I don't know when you'd be led astray (laughs) Tiff (laughs) but um so yeah so you know it's good to someone like that that's you know see that's fundamentals of because at the end of the day we need to perform we have expectations for our team to perform expectation ourselves to perform and you know they're one of the fundamental key parts of this team that we say that's yeah because it's so heavily reliant on you are the engine in this you know it's not like you're relying on in motorsport for Eugene my husband he's relying heavily on the machinery that he's riding whereas you are the machinery you have to be at your peak exactly and you know the smallest little things you know a couple of late nights or 
a couple of days of eating bad food and you can really feel it on the bike. It's not like, as you say, with the guys in motorsport where it's like, are you okay? You know, those things, although they also have to be very disciplined in what they do and they do train really hard and they do look after themselves, they still know that so much of their performance is reliant on their vehicle and their yeah. engine. Whereas for us, it's like we have not. You are your engine. Exactly. If we don't look after it well, if we don't do all those small things, you pay the price and you see it straight away on paper. Yeah. Or in a race, you know, you're getting dropped before you know that you should be getting dropped and those sorts of things. So it's so it's really important to have the people that know how to keep you on track in the best way so we can get the best out of ourselves as our performance, as our engine. Yeah. And another person who I know supports you a lot is your agent, Emma. Like, what would be her main role in your career? Yeah, you know, having... Um, so I work with a person called Emma Wade. She's got her own management company. She focused a lot more on female athletes and sports um, personalities and, you know, looking after particularly women in sport so Fantastic. like it does yeah. it's not only athletes she also looks after people like Orla Schenemel I can never say oh name. yeah she's brilliant I yeah. love all of her stuff yeah. on Eurosport yeah who she's um like a journalist she does a lot of stuff you know the commentary um race sports things like that Becca Charlton similar you know speaker but yeah and then obviously myself Lizzie Dagnan um, a few other the cyclists she does do a little bit in the guys but so her job is looking after all the kind of PR stuff for us, taking away that stress. So, you know, if I have, say, sponsors come to me or people say, hey, we'd love to do something with you, whether it's a corporate appearance, whether it's, you know, contract negotiation, whether it's organising my schedule, my travel around, you know, these types of events. Mm. So that not, because obviously that's a big part of the sport, putting yourself out there to say, okay, we need to, you know, passport is having our profile out there if we want to be able you to have make to maximize every exactly. opportunity yeah but at the same time that's a stress in itself like you need to focus on your performance and your training but obviously you know the importance of that and of course it's a great opportunity to make more money for us as well which you know in a sport that's still growing every little extra amount we can get on top of our contract our base amount that we pay from the team yeah. you know is a big difference and the same time you know having your face out there working with the sponsors closely and keeping the partnership strong with them is also really important so she looks after a lot of that and then you know that relieves a lot of stress from me then really because even the logistics of having to organize an event say if it was an appearance in London just generalizing having to communicate with all of the people involved to make sure they have your schedule when you're arriving what the plan is it's fantastic that she does all that for you and yeah exactly and also knowing or being able to say no for me as well because I think that's uh we're notorious or it's terrible being able to say no like wanting to commit to everything (laughs) saying yes you are knowing you so well that isn't the main weakness of yours is you say yes to pretty much almost everything Yeah. yeah I'm getting there but you know you see great opportunities and so you want to be able to do everything but then you have to say okay Still, at the end of the day, what's my job? It's to be a cyclist. It's to perform my best, you know. And I still, as much as the team also supports us doing extra activities, they still pay us to perform, to represent the team, Canyon Tram, but also to perform at the highest level, to get results, to win bike races or to support the team in winning bike races. So you still have to remember that at the back of your head. But so then, you know, say if there are things that people come to you and you don't know how to say no, like Emma's a perfect person to come in to say, okay, I can send her and say, okay, great idea, but it's not worth our while, like either versus the time versus maybe time management, the investment yeah. that like maybe they want you to do something, put your face out, support this event, but not pay for your time, for example. And people forget that, okay, sure, wanting to give back, give back to the community, inspire people, spend a whole day doing that. That's a day of our work we have to take off, you know, take exactly. off from training, training, the stress of traveling, the stress of 
talking, having that face on, which are all things that is part of the job and I do enjoy that aspect, but it's energy draining and yeah. that can affect your training and your performance as well. So knowing, okay, sure, if people want to, you know, be there and sure pay you to be there, great. Or if it's a really, really important sponsor and you believe or a very important cause that you believe you're willing to give your time for, but there's plenty of people that want your time and don't understand how important and how valuable that time is. Oh, like Eugene, for example, on a race weekend, obviously fans are there. If it wasn't for the fans and the sport, then the sport wouldn't really exist and he definitely wouldn't be making an earning out of it. But when he has to focus on his racing and then I see him, you know, at the pit walk and having to sign autographs and interact with people that constant interaction is very mentally draining and you're already doing something mentally draining in terms of your sport so you need to really kind of look after things and look after yourself and like we said Emma being able to assess the situation and understand your training what races are coming up the time of year like now has been your off season so you've you could probably fit in more appearance fee like appearances and things like that now than you would during the season exactly and as you say it's just about time management and working out the best times like and it's been a bit of you know learning throughout the time as well like at times when say we've committed I did like a corporate experience for a few days with a company um to do like a bike holiday type thing which was awesome it was great but then now I look back on that we did in the middle of the season and it's for I think three or four days and although I enjoyed it at the same time now looking back, I'm like, no, it's not good to those, do those type of things in season because it takes too much away from your training, from even if it's in a rest period, that's the time you need to rest. It's not going off doing other things, having extra travel days because we already do so many travel days, so many race days. So then it's like, okay, take something like that, great, great people that we worked with, but let's put in the off-season. And yeah. those are times, as you say, when we have more time to enjoy it, the time when we're not stressing back our mind thinking, oh, no, I have to get ready for this, 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 I'm losing four days just riding my bike but not getting quality out of the riding and things like that and yeah yeah and as I said yeah like you say it's super super important just to know when to say yes when to say no and having someone like Emma she's made that really good because for so long I did it by myself and yeah you managed yourself yeah. for so many years yeah. like. I simply because there weren't people out there because in obviously women's cycling it's still a growing sport um sport that has limited money so then obviously for managers and agents it wasn't enticing for them to go into it because they're like well what do we get out of it for ourselves but then obviously Emma was one of the early ones that came in and she was fortunate enough to come in with some fantastic athletes to start with obviously working with a bigger company having likes of Lizzie in the early parts of her career and helping Mm -hmm. manage her from the start and then obviously she took the bold move to go out and create her own management company and that's but that's that takes courage as well to go out on your own like that like I've met Emma a couple of times and I love her and I'd love if you're listening Emma I'm definitely going to get you on the next episode of Champagne sometime come over to London have a chat to you about you and your athletes but moving towards more people within your team who else would be a vital support network that you have around you in your like team when you're racing so in my cat and tram team I think everyone plays their role you know from my teammates, I'd say... It's important to have teammates you get along with, oh, right? completely. Or you don't necessarily have to get along with them completely. You don't have to be their best mate. You don't have to, like, catch up with them away from the racetrack. But at the end of the day, they're also kind of like a second family. So it's also having teammates that can understand each other, when to know to give each other space, when to know, okay, we can have a chat and deep and meaningful and those sorts of things. So I think having... Choosing a team when you go to choose a team when you're doing same contract negotiation, saying, okay, I'm happy with this team or maybe I need to change one reason or another. I think the dynamics and characteristics of the team is really important and 
so my director and also team owner and manager and he kind of does everything Ronnie he's also obviously a massive part of the team and I've worked with him for I think six going on seven years now and we've definitely had our differences over the years but he's also also known when to be hard on me and when to be soft but he's also had that great ability to be able to pick the rise within the team he's never gone and said I want all the best riders on the calendar because or in the world ranking because that's never going to create a successful team you need to have everyone who plays their role and maybe the best rider in the world might not fit the mix that we have like Mm. you bring them in or completely destroy the chemistry of the team so he'll look at that and look at the different personalities like we have a very very international team so there are times when everyone gets on other times when everyone's trying like you know we'll butt heads and we do explode as you do when you have 15 women together yeah or you know at any given time will be six or seven riders on the road at one time but um, and you're spending a lot of intense time together and you're exhausted and you you know you might be happy about the race you might be upset about the race it's real tense yeah balance you know but like you know and as and we have such different personalities as well but that's where he's got it right in terms of yeah as I say there are times when we aren't all getting along but it's still a professional and when it's on the racetrack we know how to do our job but then off the racetrack we do normally how to stem how to bring everyone together and you know be like if there are some issues or are things that aren't quite matching eventually you'll come together and we're like okay someone takes charge and say, look, when you sit down, we need to talk things out. I think think communication is really important within the team. Yeah. You mentioned uh, something recently when you said, um, because the atmosphere in the team in general this last year has been fantastic. Like it's a real good bunch of girls that you ride with. And you said that there was um, like a a no negativity rule or something. Like you you can't say anything negative. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, so Kasia, our Polish rider, she's, She's definitely one that brings positivity to the team. She's like a bit crazy as well, but good fun. And so, you know, we obviously throughout the season, when you're winning, obviously everyone's happy, but when you're not winning, then things gradually bit by bit, because then there's a pressure over time. If it's you go race after race after race, not pulling things together, then for sure everyone feels that yeah. energy, like we just need a good result again. And so then eventually it's like, okay, what do we need to do to fix this? So anyway, we came to the Women's Tour of Britain over a Women's Tour and I think she had already started with her boyfriend. She was just like positive energy only about, okay. you know, because positive spreads positivity, negative spreads negativity. Yeah. It's very... Makes total sense. Yeah. So we're like, and because we have the inside joke, okay, negative two euro, whatever. We're like, well, two euro, no one's going to care about that. Let's make it a bit more significant. Let's say 20 euro. If you start talking negatively, like bitching about things, bitching about other people, 20 euro in the pot, the pot, which we didn't even say. What does the pot go towards? Exactly. It was like to buy coffees or whatever. I don't know. We just, just to basically to create a point and say, okay, 20 euro in if you start being like that. It was amazing. Although I think only Hannah Barnes, she was the only one who actually paid up when for, I I don't know the reason it was, I wasn't in the vehicle at the time. It was almost going to race and she was complaining about something. So then she's like, okay, okay, I commit, whatever. But because we kind of had that inside thing within the team, whenever someone started being a bit negative, this, that, whatever, we're like, hey, and then straight away they changed their tune. Oh, that's And that's good. basically what we wanted, you know. It wasn't about the money. It was just about, you know, people realising when they were being negative or when, you know, maybe they weren't in the best mood or just to stop it, you it know, escalating. Exactly. Yeah. That was basically the biggest point. Like, sure, everyone's going to have their moments when they're tired, they bitch their moan. And also went to the staff as well. Like we said, no, it's not just a rise at the staff too. Because also, as we say, the staff is also part of the team and they're huge, huge supporters as well. Mm-hmm. But it was about creating that positive energy in general. And it's probably one of the best race we had all season after that because yeah. we stayed on it. We're like always like, yeah, yeah. And because we're always aware or everyone else was aware the second someone's negative, we kind of made a joke about it. 
and then show it. And then it breaks the tension, exactly. yeah. I think I'm going to bring that into my life. That yeah. sounds awesome, yeah. It's good. And, you know, it's hard to be positive all the time, but it just makes you more aware instead yeah. of, you know... Being... It's like when someone... When you ask someone in passing, like, oh, how are you? And then they start telling you that they're, like, all their life problems and you're, you're kind of like, okay... That's, I'm really sorry for that, yeah, but you know. But it brings you down too. So it does. You don't want to deal with that. Yeah. Like you want to help them, but at the same time, if someone's always negative Nazi, it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's draining. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And what about your friends and family that you surround yourself with? Like, especially during the season, like you just recently went away for a holiday with your mom. Like, how does your family support you in your racing as well? Yeah, I'd say obviously my family, I've always been the biggest supporters, hands down. Like, I don't have crazy, crazy close relationships. Like, some people where they need to talk to them all the time, see them all the time, you know. Obviously, I had to move away pretty early on, like, to commit to this sport. Yeah. If you want to know, find out more, you can go to Eugene Laverty's pre-pro. He did an episode <laughs> with Tiffany recently. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, like, obviously, coming from Australia, it's the other side of the world, and we have to be racing Europe if we want to be the best. So, But from the very, very early days, my parents have been the most supportive. They never pushed me into anything, but they've always been there if I wanted to go through with anything in life, yeah. you know. And so, you know, obviously my mum and my dad, they've been fantastic from the way. Mum used to drive me around to all the races around the country and stuff. Like, dad couldn't always come because he was self-employed, so it was a bit more tricky. But, you know, anybody who meets my dad knows it. He's like my number one fan. Like yeah. you meet him, you know my highlight, my whole life story. I still haven't met your dad. <laughs> I've known you for like yeah. what seven years yeah. now, and I still never met him. Yeah. I look forward to meeting him Don't someday, worry, though. Life story. But, whereas <laughs> mum is a bit more in the backgrounds, but I always know as well. She's always hundred percent like there for me, and it's nice now as well. Like now they make the time to come over to Europe when they can. Like the yeah. last few years, like mum's come to the World Championships the last two years. Dad's come over to the Giro and then this year the women's tour and stuff. So. What about hopefully the Olympics next year? Because yeah. no pressure, Tiffany, but Eugene and I may be that side of the world at that time of year. So I'm hoping to come and see you and Lizzie in the Olympics. Yeah, obviously that's a big goal. So, you know, and if I do go, then definitely my parents will come. And I think my eldest brother's already said he's going to come. So we'll see. You're going to need to get a lot of tickets because there's going to be your parents, your brothers, me and Eugene. <laughs> well, the nice thing is cycling is a free sport, so anyone can come and see it. Oh, true, yeah. yeah. We'll have to judge, like, find out. But is there not, like, a really cool hospitality? Because after, you know, Ride London, Emma got us there, tickets for there. I've kind of been spoiled at a river cycling race now with, yeah, like, free champagne, all this sort of thing. Do you My not have that? To race, not okay. to organise all the rest. So. I'll get in touch with Emma then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been to Olympics, so I don't know how it works. Oh, yeah. Because I remember a couple of years ago, um, you weren't really yourself. And you're a very private person. You're, a, you know, you're very focused on your career and you keep yourself to yourself and you're always super sociable and bubbly and so if there's a time where you're not in the slightest like your normal bubbly self I'm like what's going on and I remember a couple of years ago like it was around the Olympics time and I think that's why it's important for you also to have like friends maybe pushy friends like myself <laughs> to kind of push you to open up about difficult times as well like like that time yeah for sure again going back to having that circle that team around you like your personal team like close friends particularly as I said you know I'm over the other side of the world away from my family and you know I'm not one to just pick up the phone and have a deep meaningful conversation with them (laughs) (laughs) I mean you barely give hugs like this is the level we're operating at here yeah so obviously I've been fortunate enough down around Monaco and that like I've been here eight years now something like that you know, obviously I've had the likes of yourself, like Lizzie, um, a really, really nice group of people down here that 
become very like you know they become like family to me and yeah as you say like I haven't always been one that I definitely give a lot to other people and willing to yeah, you a sounding ear if you need. I can't always give emotional support because it's not my strength. <laughs> oh, you've counseled me on many occasions. <laughs> but yeah, obviously there was a time when it was Rio Olympics and I'd set that as a massive goal. I'd been very close to making London, but London was kind of an unexpected time, whereas I went into Rio being probably one that I felt like I had a great shot. Um, I was taken over for the test event to look at the course and, you know, I was... I started the year in a very good place in terms of selection, this, that, whatever. But in the end, I put so much pressure on myself wanting this so much and it just ate me up and went from the start of the season where one race went rubbish to the next race went rubbish. Instead of being like, okay, reset, let's get back on top of this, I just let it eat myself up. And then I'm one that's notorious to just put myself in a bit of a hole, like you say, and oh. like hide myself away. And Yeah, you're a typical cancer. You're a crab that just goes into its shell as yeah. soon as you get in hard times and... Yeah, I've definitely noticed that about you. Yeah, so anyway, like, clearly people knew things weren't right, but it was you, actually, that was the <laughs> one that finally, like, cracked me. I remember you came around to my house, you basically forced yourself in, just awkwardly Wouldn't walking be like around me. my apartment, like, looking at things, till finally breaking me down and making me speak. And, yeah, I feel forever grateful for that. Like, you know, it was hard Aww. for me because, <laughs> obviously, as I say, I'm not the emotional type, I'm not the one that, really lets many people in no like it's only a few that get let in properly oh well I I cracked that shell (laughs) I don't think you had much of a choice to be honest (laughs) exactly and it's good it's like you know I probably needed that I needed because I was I was just hiding myself away and all it was doing was making me more depressed and more upset and although I didn't show it on the outside even though people could see it all over me like I made it seem like I'm all good but inside you know I wasn't and once I finally like released some of that stress yeah. and I could just be like, okay, whatever, it's not the end of the world. I can focus on other things, focus on what I'm good at. And and then I was able to turn around the season, but it was, you know, that moment, which was a pretty dark time in my career. Well, not dark time, but like, you know, it was a low yeah. point, you know, it was, a, it was a goal that I'd strive to try and achieve and I didn't. And obviously... But it would have a knock-on effect, yeah. Yeah. And if you're bottling up all that emotion, it's not healthy. It's like anyone who goes through anything that they strive towards and they get knocked back... If you don't talk about it, then you're not going to be able to deal with it and move on from it. So I knew that I had to sort of crack you in some way and be like, you're not yourself. You need to talk about this. Like, I know you hate talking about things, but just just release a bit because I think it's only healthy uh, for mental health as well. Because ma- mental yeah. health for athletes is like a huge thing. Everyone always focuses on the performance side of things. But mental health, I think, needs to be more raised in terms of depression, especially post-career. Like what people do post-career because it's so intense what you do. So that's something I want to try and highlight in the future. That people need to respect athletes and know that what they're doing is they're putting literally blood, sweat and tears into it. So they need support in it so that's oh completely the mental side of sport is hugely important I think it's getting a lot more talked about now a lot more athletes are coming out and telling their stories because athletes are stubborn you know yeah we're stubborn we want to be the best we want to show that we're strong show this outside shell but actually inside there's a lot going on Mm -hmm. particularly in our heads we play against ourselves you know we're always looking at everyone else seeing what they're doing comparing us to them obviously we want to win but you know to win something is incredibly difficult and to win consistently is even harder. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're being that for a short period and then you come down off that, people still expect these things and, you know, it's just this vicious cycle. And even for us, our sport is hugely mentally based. Like I've always said it's 50% physical, 50% mental. Like 
how much you can push yourself mentally is how strong you can be, how successful you can be because your head will always give up before your body. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And like you say, you hear a lot about also athletes when they finish their career, they've been in the spotlight, they've been somebody to suddenly they're a nobody. If they don't already have a strategy post-career of like, okay, what am I going to do next? What's, what's the next? Or am I just going to keep writing thinking, okay, I'm going to be in sport forever. But it's like reality is no. You might get your finish time when you choose, but a lot of ha- people happen when they don't choose, whether it's injury, mm. no lack of We know that too contract. well, yeah. Exactly. All these things are out of your control. And then, of course, that also creates a lot more possibilities for depression or, you know, just being lost. And, again, Stress. that goes to the outer people that help us, like, you know, whether sports psychologists are super important. Like mm-hmm. I'm lucky I've come through the Australian National Program, the AIS, and I've been always had opportunities to work with people in all different fields if I've needed it. Even when I came to Shram team, they're always there. If they feel like we need something, they're willing to listen. If we say, yes, I need a sports psych to work with. But again, not the same sports psych can work well for everyone. Yeah, you have to find someone you have a relationship with. It's like anything. If you first ever go to counselling, it might take you two or three times before you can find a counsellor that you gel with or feel comfortable talking with or just having that chemistry with where you can open up because opening up is one of the hardest things you can do. Like it doesn't come easy to everyone. Um, In fact, I would say it's a lot harder for most than it is easy for people. So, but going back to mentally strength, like how do you, when you have an accident and you bust your knee wide open and they just staple it shut and then you just go back out on the bike and ride again, like how do you get your head around that? For me, I would be like, oh no, I'm injured. Please, can I just sit in the car? Like, it's your job. Yeah. Just got to get it done. Like, okay, a lot of time it's on for the, if it happens mid-race and it's adrenaline, you keep going because you don't feel the pain. Unless you're properly broken or something. Yeah. And even then you still ride through a lot because you've got so much adrenaline pumping. You're so like, usually it's been something that's happened really fast, really quick, and then you just get good. It's when you have to go daft daft today, then it's hard but we're fortunate enough that you know again support with the team like we got physios that work with us and osteos and so they'll patch us up and give us a treatment that we need make sure yeah. that everything's the best that it can be to then just go the next day and again a lot of it's mental it's like you will be hurting it will be painful but again the pain that you have from cuts and whatever else it'll be then your legs are hurting more from the effort they have to do to try yeah. to stay with the front. And sure, some days you'll be like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And sometimes you will have to make that decision and say, no, I need to stop the race. My body can't physically do it. But a lot of the time you can push through until the end. Then you recover yeah. afterwards. Like we are a bit special, us, uh, us cyclists are a bit, you know. Cyclists are nuts in general. Yeah. I think I think that's why Eugene gets along with so many cyclists is because you're all a little bit nuts, just like the motorbike riders, like... Eugene's ridden so many times with broken bones and I'm just sat there thinking you should be on the sofa at home, you know, resting up, but no, you're racing around at 200 miles an hour, like, or kilometres an hour, so yeah. it and is insane. It's then with broken bones. Like, if we break bones sometimes, a lot of time you can't always... But then again, that's afterwards. because you're relying on your body a lot. Yeah. I mean, so are, so are motorbike racers, drivers, everyone who, who races, but cyclists you have to be so finely tuned but the most horror story was tell us about the the time i think it was italy where they actually used like a staple gun on your kneecap yeah well basically it was just the giro and i'd had a big crash 10k to go or something took a few of us out anyways i had a cut on my knee 
needs a cut you had like a gash on your knee it was like wide open it wasn't that bad but it just needs some stitches so we went down to the doctor but obviously because we come a bit later you know italians are knock off a clock so they're like i don't want to work anymore so the guy literally just took me over to the car just whatever no painkillers nothing just like bam just went bam 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 with this nail gun i was like okay i wasn't quite ready for that nail gun straight into the kneecap just bam 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 but in the end, actually, it wasn't such... I thought it was going to be a lot worse. I thought scarring was going to be terrible. But apparently, that type of stitch versus a needle and thread one is better when you have to have a lot of movement. I still had, like, eight days of racing left. So, you know, I need saying that my knee could still move with. And so in the end, I thought it was going to be ten times worse. But actually, it was okay. But he was really just like, oh, do I really have to work right now? And Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, we did it, got it sorted, and then get racing paid more days. Yeah, and you had to keep it moving because it was coming to the off-season and we were planning some nights out, which... Actually, it wasn't the off-season. It was the middle of July. Was it? That was the one you're thinking was a different crush. Oh. And that was normal stitches. Oh, there's that way it busted. (laughs) So we were on a night out and basically Tiffany was... um, We were having a good time, let's say, and we were walking each other back to the apartments and I may have walked Tiffany straight into a concrete bollard and busted a knee straight back open again (laughs) so you don't just get injured cycling i guess you get injured on nights out with me as well so just being clumsy in general yeah yeah. (laughs) no it's it's really good my fair share of scars i mean lucky that knock on wood haven't had any of the broken bones i've had my fair share of skin off over the years yeah i think that's an occupational hazard with the cycling so exactly we only have lycra to protect us and when you come off at 40 50 60 70k an hour onto the road that's going to be rough. Because even when we were following you in the car that time with Eugene, like when we supported you, we went to a race. It was in Italy with Sarah Sarah Hartley and Brendan. And um, we managed to blag our way onto the course as your support car. And even trying to keep up with you, it was really difficult at times. So um, I, I just know that for Eugene, he's got loads of leather protection. Most people have a barrier around them. Um, but the speeds that you're going at, it's it's pretty scary at times, for yeah. sure. Like we don't think about it. I, it's more as when you do come off at those speeds is when you feel it. Particularly when you're in a big group and, you know, not a lot of space to move. Like, yeah. Yeah. But it's all part of it, you know. For some people, for sure, when they get into sport later, it's a lot trickier. And they struggle a lot more with that. But, like, when you've been in the sport since you're so young, then it's just second nature. For me, it's like the bunch is no worries. I don't get scared. It's just, yeah. When you do come off it, it's not always the softest of landings. No, but you just get straight back up on it again. And that's, I think that's what separates you from the normal to being an athlete is having that mental, like, like strength to just get straight back up on the horse again and keep going. It's, it's pretty impressive. The last thing I was going to chat to you about is, um, the fact that, I mean, we chatted earlier about the support network and especially like, I feel really lucky. I mean, I'm moving away from Monaco uh, the next couple of weeks, so I'm obviously going to miss my network of friends, and it's really important. But how do you balance all of the discipline and hard work with then party time? Like that's that's a discipline that you've had to learn in in time, isn't it? Oh, for sure. And you know, you go through your phases. Like not everyone's needing that outlet. Like you know, some people, yeah, they want to go out and party all the time and feel like they're missing out. Others are very. That's me, hundred <laughs> percent. whereas us you know then others are very disciplined and you know they have their bubble and they do all the tiny little one percent two percent and you know maybe just in the off season they'll have some nights out and it's tricky it takes time it's takes a lot of learning obviously you know I've enjoyed having time you know to go out as well and I haven't always balanced it the best 
depending on, you know, where I'm at, like where I'm really focused, I know when to shut it down, when I need to have quiet nights in, look after myself 100%, be boring, be lock myself away, all those sorts of things because I'm seeing the big picture. Yeah. But then there are those times when either you're mentally fried or you're tired or things aren't going your way. Everyone, particularly when it's peak summer, particularly around like the Monaco Cote d'Azur area, you can feel that vibe. Everyone's enjoying summer and you're like... Everyone's in holiday mood. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a fine line. I think it's just you yourself just being disciplined and again, keeping the right people around you and or not letting yourself get your arm twisted too often. And again, it's something I've had to learn a lot. Like, also depends on your personal situations too. Sometimes you might be home alone, no one around, you want that social engagement because it does get very lonely. Like, sport is a lonely world. If you don't have those close people around you to support you, to be with you, like, yeah, yeah, it can be crazy lonely. People think it's this glamorous, amazing, whatever, got people there, people want to be best mate all the time, which sure, but are they true friends? No. Or are they true people that want to be around you? Yeah, exactly. want to be around you because of your lifestyle, whatever. But there are those people that are, as we say, in that inner circle that they know and they will support the times when they want to support. So, yeah, it's really good. And I think, yeah, it's just important knowing the balance. And on that note, um, I think this is a good time to go to the questions, a new section to champagne, asking people if they want to ask my guests some questions. We've had a few questions in. Some I'll read out, some I won't. Uh, the first yeah, one. To you, Tom Blanc, first. Yeah, exactly, Tom. Thanks for your questions. Definitely not reading them out. I like cheese, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we'll go to Patrick Torrison. What do you want to do after second career, and what can you take from that into your future job? I'm guessing take from cycling into your future job. Thanks, Patrick, for the question, my little mate. Um, I've got a few ideas post-career that I would like to do. Either if I stay in cycling, I think I would probably work with brands or work, say, like with Rafa on the, the design team because fashion design has always been an interest of mine. Um, you know, I'd love to work on sort of the development side. Don't think I want to stay on the circuit. I've done so many years on the circuit doing the same thing. I will want to change. If I leave from cycling, then I thought about doing something like luxury travel, um, Peacebook luxury travel, sort of creating really cool, unique trips, taking the things that I've experienced from racing, from the connections I've made through that to be able to give people these opportunities to either get up close and personal at sporting events, whether it's cycling, whether it's other sports through the people that I've met, or seeing them on a really cool cycling tour, or not even doing anything cycling, like a really cool exotic location, you know, getting there in the best way possible. So that's also another idea. And But just being in sport and being in professional sport, it's given me so many life lessons, just learning how to deal with adversity, learning how to problem solve, um, learning how to deal with pressure, strive for goals, learning how to be focused. Like it's endless the amount of things that the sport's given me and can take me not only into future careers, but just everyday life and that I can share with other people. Yeah, I can definitely. I will book on to Tiffany's tours. I already do book on to <laughs> Tiffany's tours. One of the best trips I've been on was to Tel Aviv with you. So times, she had, yeah, everything. Everything to do with restaurants or anything. You always find these unique spots that you just never think of going to that are highly rated. And yeah, I would definitely book on to Tiffany's tours. Um, second question from Jackson. I'll let you read that one out. What is better, skateboarding through Central Park or riding up Burndasset? Oh, definitely skateboarding through Central Park, obviously. Um, but no, riding up Burndasset, Burton, 
Dasset, which for those who don't know is a finish climb in the Oboe Women's Tour, which my teammate Kazuya Nidoma won that stage. And it was pretty wicked this year because obviously we did pull it together. We were able to get her up for the win. The crowd's pretty awesome. It's a hard old little climb, but at the same time, yeah. They're both fun for different reasons. If I have to talk about sport and what I'm doing, then sure, burn Dasset, but skateboarding through Central Park, or better yet, through Broad, I think, Broadway, I think it went down with my good friend, the Velo Barber, aka Julian Howard, who basing myself out there if you want a good haircut um yeah i'm not the best skateboarder but i do have some fun i mean i've never been to new york you keep on new york is awesome i know you keep on telling me i need to go i've never been um okay and the last question i'm only saying it because it's martin (laughs) which inside story martin is a friend of ours martin cornell from monaco here yeah he's uh he's asked how much of an inspiration is martin cornell to you and the wider cycling community. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, he's my biggest inspiration ever, you know. Huge influence to me. Um, but no, in all, in all seriousness, fabulous support me has supported as probably one of my biggest fans, particularly for the Monaco crew and has come to some of the races. And yeah, as much as tries to lead me astray from time to time, he's also respectful when I say no and I'm behaving. So it's <laughs> yeah. a good day to have in the corner. Yeah. No, that's why me and Martin probably come in is probably um, when you actually do want to have a night out, that's where we can come in. Exactly. And he's also good at being my, you know, personal spokesperson of telling people who I am and probably talking me up more than what I necessarily would because I'm not very good at... Yeah, for an outgoing person, you are actually quite shy. Like, that's one thing, until you get to know you... Your first impression is quite standoffish and a bit shy, but then obviously when you get to know you, there's no shutting you up. It's great. (laughs) Once you're in my inner circle. Yeah, and I feel very uh, privileged that I'm within that inner circle, so... I feel privileged to have you as part of it as one of my best friends. Oh, Tiff, this is getting emotional. I love it. <laughs> as emotional as it gets. Right, well, we'll leave it there because um, I would love you to make me a lovely, um, maybe like a coffee or a piece of cake or something at Tiffany's uh, Cafe. At 10 o'clock at night, I'm sure you'd love that. You won't sleep with my coffee. But... Yeah, I need to pack though, so maybe we'll see. Morning. Oh, I'll definitely come around for that then. Thanks, maybe. Tiff. Thanks for having me. <laughs>